He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe. 26- Hello and welcome to the Portuguese Football Show. Brought to you by Prosima Jornada. I'm Aaron Barton and as always, I'm joined by Philippe. Philippe, how's it going? I'm good, mate. Good. And you, uh, by, by the way, I'm going to go again. He's not as fun as the first time, but... <laughs> Well done. Congratulations for the three years of Prosimo Jornada. This time you're not going to get red, so <laughs> we'll sound <laughs> even better. Uh, so, like, I yeah, just want to say congratulations on your work, mate. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, it's not just my work, remember, it's uh, it's yourself as well and everyone who sort of contributes towards the website and making Prosimo Jornada what it is. Uh, for those who are wondering why me and Philippe are laughing is, is because we actually recorded the first five minutes before and... The file was corrupted. So Philippe actually sprung that little congratulations on me. Yeah, I went quite red in the face. Uh, but this time, yeah, I was a bit I was prepared for it. Uh, hence why we were laughing so much. So we'll get straight into it. Premier League. In a couple of days' time, we've got uh, a clash, a game in the Premier League, which could prove to be uh, decisive in the title race. We've got FC Porto hosting at the Estadio de Dragao. Uh, Sporting, we're on 53 points. The leaders, Porto, were on 59. Uh, so there's a six-point gap, and they meet each other uh, under very tense circumstances on the 11th of February. Uh, they both won uh, 2-0. Porto were away uh, to Aruca, and Sporting won 2-0 uh, at home to Famalicão. Philippe, I know you watched a little bit more of the Sporting game than I did. I saw the... Uh, Sarabia penalty, and then on half time, Antonio Adan it came to the rescue uh, with a penalty save. Such a crucial time in the match as well. As uh, if Simone Banzig puts that penalty in for Milikau, get that sort of boost just on half time. They always say it's the best time to score, especially if you're 1 0 down. Uh, but Antonio Adan came to the rescue, and uh, shortly after half time, uh, Mateus Reis scored to make it 2 0. But um, what did you make of the game, Philippe? I know tactically. Uh, it was quite interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, tactically it was. Um, so Famalicão was exactly in the same shape as, as Sporting was playing, so the 3-4-3. So it meant like every man had another one to, to to match against. So there was a lot of physical duels throughout the first half. And if you were watching through the TV, it looked like there was not much space available because of that. Um, I think that we were able to see as well that Fedal... Is no longer the Fedal from last season. He's clearly not in a good moment. Um, and obviously, Amorim took him out half time to bring Ishgai um, one. So, because everything that Famalicão was able to create was down on that side with, with Juncao Teixeira, um, that obviously arrived in, in January from, from Feyenoord, he was able to create space between the lines be, behind Mateus Nunes in the head of Fedal. And Fedal, every time he tried to go and, and match him up and being close from him, would being turned off or if he was too far away would Kujon Carlos said was able to come inside and had great chances to shoot so in the second half he was able to with Mateus Reis in the middle to to stop that and then like you said he had the penalty I think in Mourinho as well and um, spoke it in, in a flash interview which is a key moment because he never Sporting never felt like they were 
in under control, something that some most of the times you watch them play, you feel that's happening. You've, well, against Family Kelm, that that was never the the feeling I, I especially got to watch them. Um, so if that penalty comes in, it might be something similar to what happened with, against Braga, which was after that just a completely uh, panic stations with with them trying to go and score. So the safe was was key, and then the second half. With the substitution, Sporting was able to control the game. If in the first half, I felt Famalica was very, very close to to always to score. In the second half, Sporting, especially the first 15 minutes, had so many chances. That one from Poch that went to the post, Gigayu um, a couple of times, and then obviously the Mateus Reis, which was a great strike, but a bit like because I still think it was a little deflection. Otherwise, I don't think his shot by his foot position would go that way. Um, and then after that was game over. And uh, I think the only thing probably Sporting feels sorry for themselves is the the yellow card for Por that takes him off from the Porto game, which is a massive loss. If I, I know a lot of Sporting fans, especially on Twitter, say against Benfica, they didn't have Palinha or Coates. But I think Paul, in the way sporting plays against the big teams is even more important. That leads us into into the into the game against Porto first v second. Obviously, without now a a key man, this will be Porto's first big game without a key man in Luis Diaz as well, who's obviously moved to Liverpool. So being able to cope in the last couple of games, sort of without him, but. Again, coming up against Maritimo and Aruka, a, a different test to coming up against the defending Premier League champions. So, uh, definitely, definitely going to be an interesting game. I think if uh, if Sporting manage to get the win and, and take themselves to 56 points, there's three points in it. Uh, and that will have only played 22 games. I keep having this feeling, I, I've been doing this recently, is thinking that because we're past the halfway stage, it feels like the league's starting to wind down. And you remember... So much football yet to be played. There's so many games yet to be played, and and things that are yet to be decided. Uh, Porto were obviously still unbeaten as well, which gives it an extra, uh, a little bit of extra to the game. Not that the game needed uh, any extra impetus, but the fact that they still got that that zero in the loss column, Sporting will want to obviously close that gap, inflict that first defeat uh, on Sergio Conceição's men, but. Don't know it'll be incredibly different, difficult. The Estadio Dragao is a very, very tough place for opponents to go to, and say they've won nineteen of their twenty-one games, home and away this season. So, but do you think the 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 departures of players like the likes of Sergio Oliveira and Jesus Corona, Luis Diaz, players that have been there and played in these? games against the big rivals and know what it means to manage a game. Do you think sort of losing those key men in a game of this magnitude might affect uh, Porto? To be honest, no. Not for this particular game. If I think they're losing Sergio Oliveira, Corona... Corona not so much because Corona was uh, alienated from from this season so far, so it doesn't really count. Um, And Luis Diaz, if for this game I don't think is massive... Because Porto cope well against Benfica in the second time they played for, with the game against for the league, um, the first game with Verissim in charge, they didn't have Luis Diaz. Luis Diaz was injured, and they still won the game. And Pepe scored as well that day. Uh, what I think is for the long until the end of the season, especially if they hope to get a long European um, run in 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 Europa League. Then I think so because I still don't think Ostaki is on the same level as Sergio Oliveira and definitely doesn't feel the club and 
understands what Sergio Conceição wants as as Sergio Oliveira um, did. So I mean, thinking a long way, maybe. But to be honest, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I don't think it will be decisive because it's still a long time to go. If you remember last season when there was the same game, Porto against Sporting at the time, Sporting had 10 points of advantage. They drew their game. After the game was 10 points, everyone said it was over. But then Sporting, in two draws, the, the distance dropped to four points. So it, it can get closer. And they'll still, like I said, if the Europa League will be massive because we'll mend, first Porto will have more games than Sporting. Remembering that these two are going to face each other for the, the two games for, for the Portuguese Cup as well. So there'll be a lot of games in. And it'll be depending on how well the second options are that I think will be important for the rest of the league. So if Sporting signs Slimani and Edwards, that will be not for the starting eleven, but to maintain a good level throughout. If you take players out and bring another player in, you don't feel as much. Um, Porto, I think, losing those players, it will make you feel. So... Lots of ingredients in this one. Uh, lots of reasons why everyone should be tuning in. Uh, if there's only if there's only a couple of games in the Premier League that you're able to watch, for example, on English television, uh, the the Porto Sporting game will definitely be one of those. Uh, I don't think it's been announced by a broadcaster yet, but it'll either be Free Sports or BT Sports. I'd be surprised if BT Sport didn't yeah. pick it up. To be honest, with it being a, a, a you know a a massive, a massive game. And so definitely tune into that one. Benfica went up against Sondela away from home and won 3-1 in what was probably one of the most positive Benfica performances in, in recent weeks and months. I got the impression from watching the game that they, the players just felt a little bit, a bit freer, a, a little bit like, I don't know, like a proverbial weight had been lifted off them. Obviously the situation is still, as uh, as dire as it as it has been in in recent months, the twelve points off Porto at the top, you know I'm under no illusions about how big of a a job Verissimo has on his hands and the club itself in terms of the direction that it wants to go in. But in terms of the players that were on the pitch, I thought they were a lot more positive. Personally, it was one of the best games I've seen I've saw Everton play since joining Benfica. He, he assisted two of the goals and scored the other one, uh, so he had three goal involvements there. Uh, Darwin Nunes with the with the pick of the bunch, an absolute cracker, a rasper from distance. Uh, sits just behind Vitinha's finish uh, for me for uh, for goal of the week slash goal of the weekend uh, with us now being on Monday. But yeah, a more of a positive performance. They went three 0 up before uh, Tondela went down to ten men. Uh, overall, there's still lots of work to do, and other than that, there isn't much really to talk about. I mean, we've we've got a departure. Uh, or an imminent departure that hasn't quite been confirmed yet, Philippe, that you think is is very interesting? Yes, uh, Pizzi. I think it's um, it's it's just another thing that makes me confused about what Dubai Fika wants to do. Um, because obviously he was apparently, and what everything we know about, one of the major ones to go against George Zouge that ended up forcing him out <laughs> and end up going after the January transfer is over, so they're not really going to bring anyone to replace him. Uh, so it just feels so confusing. It feels like they going around depending on what people say um in the in the in the media. So it's it's very confusing. He's, he's going six months only for, for Turkey Turkish football for then to him probably come back. 
Um, so it's just, it just makes me wonder what to actually want to do. Uh, but I feel we have this conversation every time we make the podcast. And then the other thing is what one of the players, probably if you ask me early December, the second best player in the league after Luis Diaz, uh, Rafa, um, was obviously playing his best football <laughs> under Jorge Jesus when he was playing more in the middle. And now obviously in this 4-3-3 slash 4-4-2, depending in the moments of the game where he plays more on the right-hand side. Um, he's just taking the game completely out of him and, and he's not the same player that he was uh, a month and a half ago. So it's just, I think, and that's the manager's job is to is to always to ponder if they want to bring the best out of Everton and he's able to do that. Everton played really well today. He's been doing better games than he was before. So there is an improvement. But then if in that case, you're making Rafa go on the other side um, and he play more like as a winger when I don't think his best position is that one. I think he should be playing more in the middle. Then I think you need to... I, I, it's, it's hard because obviously one cost you 20 million in trying to make money out of him. Um, and the other one has been in a club for such a long time, so you're probably not going to make too much money out. So if you look just in terms of income and outcome, uh, maybe Everton makes sense. But in terms of the play and which play it is there, I think... You need to play with Rafa in your mind because he'll be the he'll be the one that gives you the the final pass if he's playing yeah. in a good position. So, um, yeah, it's so a difference I, maker, isn't he? Yeah, I th- someone who can play between those lines. They say when he's playing more centrally. That's I mean the start of the season, Philippe, when we were waxing lyrical about him on the podcast. I think where he was every single game, it seemed like he was hitting one or two assists. Providing because he was so free, he was playing yeah. behind playing Darwin and Oyamachenko, and he was so free either to go from inside to out, um, or just running towards a defender because Darwin movements would take always a center back with him, so create always space for him with, with mm-hmm. a, a short dribble. So, I th- honestly think the best way for Bifika going forward, especially until the end of the season, is to think how can I make Kafa Darwin play the best because I think those are the two best players in the team at the moment so um, yeah. we'll see yeah he's Darwin is, a, is an interesting one because he's one that seems to polarise a lot of people he, he catches he catches a lot of flack internally he catches a lot of flack from, from Benficistas from what I've sort of saw online as well but then you know it it, it, it is a difficult one because then you see him sort of play as he did today and score goals like he did. And then you, you look at the top scorers list and you think, you know, he, he's, he's out there on his own, uh, especially with Luis Diaz gone now as well. And every single summer or every single January transfer window since he's joined, there's, there's clubs all around Europe interested in him. So there's, um, yeah, he's definitely one that seems to split opinion. Um, but, but yeah, I just got... to f- sorry to Go interrupt. On. But I think for him, and if the fifty millions were, were through, I think it was um, a business that Befica should not say no to. I don't think he's worth that money. I don't think he'll be worth that money in the future. And this is it might be a very unpopular opinion, but I don't think he's a striker for a big team in a big league because he's a player that needs space. And if now teams that play against Befica, and you saw today even against Andela, they probably give him a bit of space because. If you play now against Benfica, you think I can try and press them a bit high on the pitch because I, I fancy my chances to, to win the ball high. Most of the times, when if, if Darwin plays against the team that drops deep and he doesn't give him to, time to have two, three touches on the ball, I don't think he can impact the game. 
So I think a team like West Ham, Leicester in England, they can pay him a lot of money for him. I think will be perfect for him because if he goes to a team that team. plays most of the time with the ball and against teams that defend deep, I don't think he has a chance because he doesn't have a very good first touch. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't work very well in short spaces. He needs space to, to, to drive with the ball forwards. That's why in Champions League they were so good against yeah, Barcelona, Barcelona, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, spot on, spot on. I think, I say, he, he, he's probably putting better performances in now because other teams in the Premier League have now think that maybe Benfica have been stripped of that fear factor a little bit. As you say, sort of going toe-to-toe and thinking, you know what, we've saw A, B and C go and do it. Let's let's fancy our chances and try and get high up the pitch and try and be aggressive. And then obviously that does lead to space. Uh, you know, at the start of the season, sort of uh, or when Benfica do sort of have that fear factor about them, Teams are a little bit more shook to, to sort of go toe to toe and they limit the spacing behind. That's when he, he does tend to struggle. So, um, spot on on that. In another massive game in the Premier League, we saw rivals, neighbours, Vittoria uh, go up against Braga in a match, a very enjoyable match. Probably one of the games I enjoyed watching the most uh, over the weekend, which ended in a 2 1 win for Vittoria. Uh, Nelson Deleuze scored a, a 90th minute winner. Alpha Samid got sent off just just on the hour mark. Yeah. Uh, so it was the, that last half an hour plus uh, plus the added time as well. Uh, Vitinha uh, scored the equaliser after Oscar Estupinian scored again uh, for Vittoria. He's on a, a hot streak at the moment with the seven Premier League goals. Very, yeah, very interesting game. Um, so yeah, Vittoria managed to to leave with the three points. Uh, they're now on thirty points, eight points behind Braga. But for Braga, just I mean, we've we've spoken recently on the podcast about their sort of consistency and consistency. Uh, again, I mean, their, their form recently has lost, uh, drawn, lost, won, won, uh, lost. The game against Sporting, they, they they pull off that victory, and you think like they're going to get on a go on a, a big run here and and finally sort of get it all together. But again, that wasn't the case. They had a two 0 win against Morenense, and then. Sort of back to square one again, as as they were like uh, when they got that big win against Daruka when they won six 0 away from home, and then after that was was a, a draw against Familicao, and then they lost against Maritimo again, picked it up again once they beaten Sporting, and then the same thing sort of happens again is is then they end up losing or drawing the game and sort of losing that momentum. I was looking at some of the numbers because recently we were speaking about Braga in terms of okay they're, they're in that standard Braga position. Uh, that they're always in, but if you just look at the fact that they're in fourth place, it, it looks like that. It looks like that's where they are every season. But they're having a very different season, uh, especially compared to last year. They've scored thirty-seven and conceded twenty-two again, which which isn't great. I mean, twenty-one games played, they've conceded twenty-two uh, in the league last season. At this point, they were second in the league, and um, they they were they were flying to be honest. And I think defensively. Uh, this season, even when you look at the numbers sorted in the Europa League, they score more than any of the other teams in the Europa League group stage, but they also conceded more uh, goals. And obviously, they've had a, quite a an alternating defence. They've had youngsters come in in the likes of Bruno Rodrigues, Diogo Leite, and then sort of try to complement that with the likes of uh, Vito Tormena uh, 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 and others. But haven't really been able to find that sort of defensive consistency. And again, they've conceded uh, a late goal. Just even looking at the fact that they've, 
you know, the goals that they have conceded. You look at teams like Pastros, who are sitting in 12th. They've only conceded two more goals all season than Braga have. Porto Menente have only conceded one more than they have. Usually, we're talking about Braga as being in this little league of their own where they're so far clear of the teams below them, but fighting desperately to get to those teams above them. Whereas this season, the gap below seems smaller and the gap above, you know, the team directly above them is Benfica, who went healthy nine points above them on 47. Whereas last season, they obviously it didn't end that way. They didn't finish in second place, but it felt for the majority of the season like they were fighting for it. They were even, you know, trying to be in and amongst the Champions League conversation. Um, what's what's happening to them, Philippe? What's happening this season? How can they go from from six nil wins and and looking confident to to losing games and then losing a game of this magnitude against the rival that you absolutely cannot stand in a game so big? After a couple of weeks ago, the ecstasy of that late goal against Sporting, where you, everyone was sort of together, this unity, they've confused me a little bit this season, fully. If I'm if I'm being honest, I think Braga will look in a few years' time to this season and think this was probably the season. Well, if you take apart the bad years from from Sporting, but the season where they were the closest one to or the the more achievable one to get into top three because you see Benfica falling apart and, and not being able to to have an idea. And Braga was had the resources to get close from them, but because like you said, they, they have they can either beat sporting even though they were a bit like in that game, and then they can lose games where you think, how is it possible? How is it possible you lose a game where you play with an extra man for half an hour? Uh, against a team that Vitoria came from losing against against Vizela. So obviously mentally, obviously Pepe played a lot with the emotion of the game and being Vitoria and, and, and playing against Braga, a team that they haven't been at home since 2015. So it was a lot of emotion, but, but Braga there should have been the ones that have been calm. If, if they win that game, they'll be, well, obviously Benfica won today, but it would be three points away from Benfica, so they put pressure on them, and end up after actually being nine points behind. So it just like feels like a missed opportunity for them, because they have, obviously, I think they got lost in between two ideas as well, which is, in my view, the worst can happen to a club, um, which is in the beginning of the season, they were trying to push into getting a top three. And then as soon as they realized that was not happening or it would be hard for them to achieve that, they changed completely the idea to be, let's okay, let's give the, the youth a chance and, and let's generate money from the youth. I'm not saying that this is not a good idea for Braga. Personally, I think it is. I think the way to Braga to grow is go on youth and getting players like Mario Gonzalez didn't, didn't work this time, but players like him, which have a very good season in Portugal, try to give them a chance. Um, but you cannot change halfway through the season because then you have no continuity into in what you're doing. Um, and in this particular game, I think the last half an hour where they had another player, they, they didn't. I think Ricardo Horta was spot on. I think they got to try to play too quickly, too fast, but with no pattern. Um, and when they moments they should calm down the game and play around and try to get Vitoria tired, they were not able to do it. And Vitoria still was able to have the better chances. And now just a note. Um, I'm not sure that if we spoke too much about him on the podcast. Definitely not enough. I think Vitinha is an amazing player. I think will be the striker of the of the national team. 
um, I think is a be- already a better version than André Silva. Um, and if I was Fernando Santos, I would drop André Silva. I know he's scoring goals for in Germany, but the way Vitinha plays is, if you think that he was, he was 17 and he was playing in the, not at Braga, he was playing in Aguiz da Vilk, which is a small team uh, in Braga. With 17, he went to actually a proper academy and how much he improved in four years is 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 it's frightening. It's, it's incredible. If you think yeah. about if he's able to improve in four years what he's doing now, when he's 25, four years from now, will be a, a, a world beater because the way he was able to, to receive and turn, to hold a play. He was playing against George Fernandes, which is a player with, I don't know, six more years than him. Uh, with so much experience in Portugal and abroad, and the way he was able to receive turn, he has pace as well. Um, he's so strong physically. His finishing is good. His finishing to a, a game where they're losing against Vitoria, and his little touch to go over Bruno Varela just just shows such a class and a maturity class, from yeah. him that um, composure. Something that a lot yeah. of young players just don't. So we all know have. what's going to happen to him. It will be at Wolves next season, probably. <laughs> no, no, but without the joke, well, he's such a good, good player. And if you have a chance, go go and watch him um, and watch games where he plays because. Yeah, he's doing um, he's doing some brilliant things. He's on. He's only started eight games so far this season. Obviously, he's becoming more and more integral to the team, as you say, possibly as a result of those uh, that, that that maybe change in philosophy, that change in ideas in terms of we're seeing uh, the likes of him coming into the side more. But 60, he's averaging 62 minutes a game. He's only started eight times. Yeah, he's, uh, he's he scored five goals already. He has 2.2 shots per game. And so he gets his shots off. He gets into those spaces where, where even if even if Braga are under the cosh a little bit, he's able to you know get the ball and hold defenders off him. And he's not the biggest of players either in terms of the way he goes up against his opponents. I think he's, I mean, he's he's what five foot eight, five foot nine, maybe maybe five foot ten, but he's not he's yeah, not massive was... by all accounts. Yeah, it's funny because I was speaking about him in a in a in a Portuguese podcast um, about about scouting, and he was one of the players we we brought on. And I was explaining that sometimes I don't know if it happens to you when I'm watching a, a player, I look at him, and sometimes I look oh, this guy looks big and strong uh, because yeah. that's the vibe you get from how he plays. And then you actually go check on him, and he's way shorter than what you thought. Yeah, and sometimes it happens the other way around. And exactly, exactly, exactly that happened to him. I was watching him. I think this guy must be, uh, I don't know, if you have yeah, six foot. <laughs> and then it's not nothing near that. And it just shows how well he uses his body. So yeah, 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 definitely. So definitely want to watch. Um, you know, a, a terrific young talent. And I say Braga if they're going to go with that model, um, bringing on um, the likes of. The likes of him, the likes of Vitinha, the likes of Roger, the likes of um, even defensively, we've got Jan Kuto in there. Bruno Rodriguez is only is only twenty. Got they've got a very young core there. People do like to see young players playing because they like to be the first ones to say, "Yeah, oh yeah, I saw him play when he was because, nineteen." I saw him play because I think that's the way that Braga, Vitoria, and and maybe they realized that before us, because what did those clubs used to do? And he done for a long, long time, which was going pick up the best players below them. 
Yeah. Uh, but now with Benfica, Porto and Sporting not having the money to pick up players from abroad, now are the big three doing that. So you saw with Pedro Gonçalves, Ugarte, uh, Galeno, uh, in, in Benfica half a few years ago from Braga. But now other big clubs going and looking at that league, which is perfect and that's how it should work, um, for their best players. So Braga and, and Guimarães now are looking at them and saying, I used to go and be able to pick up a play from Sturil. No, I'm oh, no yeah, longer able to because yeah. Sporting now are looking for that player. Yeah, so yeah. now they need to build Good from Ethan. Yeah. So that's why now Braga is bringing so many players. Guimarães, again, same game. They had uh, Magna. The Maga, sorry, the right back, a youth yeah. product. And they had Andrea Mar on the bench. They had uh, Elder Sa that came on uh, with 20 minutes to go with the left back. They had always Tom and Wendell. They had Andrea Almey from the bench. They had Ranvier, which came to Guimarães um, quite well, quite young, 18 or 19. Uh, you had Nelson Deluge. Um, so you have so many players coming in as well because they realize that. The, they what the market used to be for them when they were able to pick up Rochinha from Boa Vista is no longer going to be there because the big clubs are going for those players now. So that's the, the change of pattern of Portuguese football, which is just perfect because it gives youth chance and it makes money go around in the Portuguese football, which makes the, the league more balanced at the end. Where where do you go and get yourself a, a Stefano Stachio if, if now Stefano Stachio is now going to... He's sort of missing out that jump and is now... Because Porto yeah. aren't going and getting a, a player from you know wherever it may be. They're now it looking was, at the it's a perfect league. example. If if ten years, twenty years ago, Porto went to pick up Lucho Gonzalez from Argentina for the same position, they no longer have that money because you can see now Matias Arezzo going from Uruguay to Granada for money that any Portuguese club were able to go and pick him up. So now they look they didn't look at their own their own league. Yeah. Yeah, which is to be honest, is something that we've been saying for for time. Is is it usually takes some of these players maybe two or three moves amongst the teams below uh, Benfica, Porto, and Sporting before they sort of catch the attention of what of one of the big three. Whereas now it seems like maybe it's it's the start of something which is more of a direct. We're going to get a player from from here because. I mean, who better to know? Who better to keep an eye on than players who are playing week in and week out against you? And so, you know, if you can pick up the best talent from your league, I mean, you know, Bayern Munich, obviously it's a different example because financially they're a lot more equipped. They're, you know, bigger bigger club, uh, bigger sort of traditions, especially in modern times. But again, is is, is a model that they look at is, is, is the best talents within the Bundesliga. You know, if you were doing it against... If you can come and play against Bayern and you you do it against us, chances are we'll sign you in the summer, um, yeah. which is something that they've sort of they sort of went and with. Um, yeah, and yeah. exactly. And there's players that we see every time playing, so we know how consistent they are. And it's just realizing where is a cheap play that can give you can give you good football. Like I always give the example of Paulinho. Do you know how Paulinho went to Braga? Do you know the reason? Paulinho, the one that that was sporting now. Paulinho was playing at Gil Vicente um, when Gil Vicente was not even in the second league. They were like in that weird transition because obviously with uh, Mateus case, whatever, it's a long story. But basically they had a league in the third division, the Campeonato Portugal, now the uh, Liga 3, um, where they was always playing the team that would face the week after Braga B. 
you understand? Because there were all these extra team, these the 19 team of the league. So Abel Ferreira at the time, the coach of Braga B, was we used to always watch Gil Vicente because Gil Vicente was always playing to the team that they were going to face. So because he saw Paulinho so many times playing, he saw, okay, there's a player there. And that's why he, then he went to Braga first team. He asked Antonio Salvador to go and pick him up, to go and buy him, just for that thing of watching him all the time playing. And just like, why do you need to go and buy a player from Brazil or Argentina? It doesn't say that the player is better or worse, but the amount of players that teams in Portugal bring from overseas without watching them very often, if you have a scout watching Liga 3, you find something like that. Better, you see, Beto. Beto was playing in Montijo. <laughs> he yeah, was not a professional he's... player when he went to Portimonense. It's scouting. It's an example. Yeah, it's of, all of about using your resources like... the best way yeah. you can. And there'll always be players. There'll always be players in Portugal, as you say, in Liga Três, Campeonato de Portugal. Even if you're looking, you know, it's, obviously it's 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 a little bit different, but even like something like the Liga, the because even though it's the sort of under-23 football, you watch some of those games and you can already sort of see, like, yeah. where's that player? Obviously, you know, some players look really look good at those levels and anything can happen with their career, but you look at players and you can identify talent like that and we're not paid to, to we don't work with, you know, scouting or anything like that. It's it's it's, it's sort of, but if you've got an eye, I mean, Liga Tres again, how much? How many? How many times do you see like individual compilations of players and goals and assists? And and you watch a game and you think this player stands out above the rest, or that player looks like the best player on the pitch. Or have you seen this guy's numbers this season? You know, if we can do that with the naked eye, I'm sure yeah. teams, you know, at the very top with the. I mean, I can't even imagine even a club like Benfica there. The, the, the analysts that they have, the scouts that they have, this network. As you say, if you can go and find someone in the Uruguayan second division, you can find someone in Liga 3. Yeah. It's around the corner. You look like <laughs> look at players like Samu at Vizela. He was three yeah. years ago, he was playing on professional football. How could not a team from Segunda League at the time or a team like Tondela um, having a scout then seeing him play for Vizela? And now he's one of the best players of, of Vizela in the first division. A player like Tales. Uh, play like Bukia. These guys three years ago were playing on semi-professional football. Yeah. You talk about Liga Relação. Chiquinho was there last season. Anyone yeah. in their yeah, yeah, yeah. mind would not see him and become, okay, this is a player. Mm-hmm. André Frank was playing uh, half the time in Liga Relação as well. And yeah. now he's probably the best player in the Liga outside of the big three. The talent is there. You just got to uh, you got to you got to utilize yeah. it. But I think sometimes there's it. a lot of people that think, okay, if you bring a play from Portugal, is not as good as if you you don't look as good or as smart if you bring a play. If I do a scout report about a guy from Uruguay, I look a better scout than if I do a report about a guy that's playing in Liga Tres. Playing fifty kilometers down the road. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit of scouting snobbery there as well. So, some things to look out for this week. We've got a Fabio Vieira article coming out, which will be a bit of a deep dive into his career so far and also the excellent form that he's been in this season. And we've got uh, some other things coming in the pipeline in the next uh, week or two and possibly a piece to commemorate our three years of existence with some uh, with some highlights thrown in there as well. So, as always, some podcasts uh, written articles and other stuff coming your way. Make sure to tune in uh, to the Premier Liga. Obviously, in the weekend coming, they've got some 
uh, some really really exciting games. I say we we open up round twenty two with uh, with Porto uh, Sporting, which is on the eleventh. Um, but then after that, you've got Braga and Pasch de Freire, which will be uh, a good game. Then you've got the clash of the Benfica Crests, as I like to call it. Uh, Benfica take on Santa Clara uh, at the Estadio de Luz. And then um, and then another game to keep an eye out on. I don't know if it'll be uh, televised in England. It probably won't be, but I'm sure using the craft of the internet, you'll find a way to uh, to watch uh, the game. Say no more. Is Vizela Gil Vicente. Uh, Vizela come into that game unbeaten in their last three games. And Gilles Vicente come into this in in uh, very, very good form. Their last defeat came on the 18th of December uh, to Sporting, but uh, since then they've been on a great run of form. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. Philippe, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And see you next week, mate. I'll see you next week. He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Vigo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Ede. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe.